Hello and welcome to season two of Tastemaker Conversations. This is a podcast for food bloggers, foodie influencers, and all types of content creators. We're trying to help inspire and educate you guys and introduce you to our idea of collaboration over competition. I'm Susie. And I'm Todd. And together we run HeyGrillHey.com and Patio Provisions, which you'll learn more about at Tastemaker Conference. It's a new company we started. And today we're interviewing Danielle Liss. She's incredible. Danielle is a lawyer. She is on the forefront of sponsorships, affiliate marketing, negotiating contracts, and all of those little things that we as food bloggers and business owners need to know. In our conversations today, we are going to be covering the best way to negotiate those brand deals, what to look for in contracts, and how to make these brand deals work for you and your business. So make sure you listen to the whole thing because Danielle is dropping some real fantastic knowledge. So Susie, by the way, you're dropping some fantastic knowledge too. Thank you. And I personally can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation and especially for you guys to check out Danielle's class at Tastemaker in the fall. So let's do it. Here we go. Hey, Danielle, welcome to the Tastemaker Conversations podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know what? This is a really fun podcast, and I love that it gives us the opportunity to kind of get a sneak peek and pick the minds of our Tastemaker Conversations or Tastemaker Conference presenters before the actual conference. I think it's a good opportunity to have some context so when people go to your class at Tastemaker, they know you a little bit. So that's how we're going to start is just by getting to know you. I would love to hear about just how did you get to where you are, your career history, your schooling, some of your corporate gigs, like what brought you to this point? Sure. Um, I always tell people that I, when I was an undergrad, I picked what could be one of the most useless majors available, which was art history. And I ended up working for a credit card company in marketing. So super connected there. Well, I have a psychology undergrad and I write about barbecue. So exactly. I mean. it's, you know, <laughs> it takes you. I think the liberal arts degrees are always good. It taught me to write. So yeah. it's fine. Um, and then I decided while I was working in the marketing department for the credit card company that I wanted to go to law school, did that. And when I got out of law school, I moved to Las Vegas and at the time, I was doing primarily business and construction law. Anyone who has ever met me knows that that is not a good fit. I do not have that sort of engineering mind, like none of the construction stuff. I like I could get it after like 10 hours of my boss is trying to explain it to me. But I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is just it's not how my brain works. And I had started blogging in 2004. And it really wasn't like I would be writing blog posts on my computer in my law school lectures. Um, so I, uh, it was something that I just started doing as a hobby. I loved it. I loved seeing what was happening in the, in, happening in the industry. And while I was in litigation, a friend came to me and said, Hey, I got this cool opportunity to make money off of my blog through a post where they want me to write about something. And this was probably, oh my gosh, 2010, I think. So it was really early. Like the birth the of sponsored posts. Yeah, it was early. And I was just like, whoa, you do not want to sign this because it had some pretty crazy stuff in the contract. And she was like, just an offhand comment said, you know, it would be great if bloggers knew this stuff. And I was like, yeah, it would. And so a speaking career was born then. And <laughs> 
I started speaking at conferences. I was one of only a couple of people who were doing it at the time. And it was really just to teach a lot of bloggers who most of them came into it as a hobby, right? And it was really just to teach them some basics about contract law for any of those contracts that might come down the road for sponsored content. I ended up leaving litigation because someone I knew started an influencer network that was focused on health and wellness influencers. And it was a time when many influencer networks were starting to pop up because sponsored content was becoming much more common. So I was there for four years. I was general counsel and chief marketing officer. And during that time, I once the campaign was sold, I was really the person who within my department, we took it from start to finish. We were the ones who were working with the influencers, setting all of the rates, kind of getting the content to be as great as possible so that we had the best results to report back to the brands. Eventually left that, started a company called Business Ease, which has the whole goal of Business Ease is to make business a little bit easier for those who are in the digital business space. And then I had a law firm, which I left, and now I'm in-house counsel and vice president of affiliate programs for a digital health and wellness company. And with that, I work with about, oh my gosh, I think the last count is close to 9,000 affiliates, um, kind of maneuvering everything there, still on the legal side. And I also have a small law firm called List Legal. So, you know, Nothing going on here. <laughs> Just keeping it pretty simple, straightforward, yeah. you know, checking really the boxes. Really nothing on my calendar. Everything is <laughs> Just easy. Wide open. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you have experience in so many facets of blogging and being, you know, kind of these digital media brands that we're becoming now on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. You started out in the blogger industry. You yep. jumped into legal counsel. You jumped into affiliate marketing, sponsored marketing, and kind of navigating the relationships between brands and influencers. And also, like, having been there yourself as a blogger, it's, I think, fantastic because it gives you such a well-rounded approach. Plus... The art history degree, I think, really super useful. Ties it say, all together. I think that picture looks amazing. Yeah, and you can give a it really is. You can give a really educated opinion on somebody's photo. Exactly, and I think one of the things that helps, and unfortunately, this is still a prevalent idea, and I hate it so much. I hope that we're starting to move past it, and I think that. For most of those who are attending Tastemaker, I think that we are getting there. I hate the idea that bloggers don't view themselves as business owners. I hate this idea where people will be like, I'm just a blogger. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, no, if I could strike any sentence out of, you know, all of their vocabulary, it would be that I'm just a blogger because your business is so much more than that. So my hope is that with my experience, I can help people to see themselves as a business owner and really take, I I don't know, I want that sigh of relief that they feel a little more comfortable so that they can concentrate on, you know, their zone of genius, their passions, their putting all of the creative content out by having someone that they know, okay, you know my space and tell me what to do here because I just, I don't want (laughs) to. I get that. Yeah. I think a lot of it is perspective, like you said, like, and how, and how you present it, right? And then we see this pop up in blogger groups on Facebook and other places all the time. Like when somebody asks what you do, 
What do you tell them? And some people have that, I'm a blogger, and they say it with pride and gusto. And some people say, well, people ask too many questions when I say I'm a blogger. So I've just started saying, like, I'm a food photographer or, you know, various other like definitions to kind of avoid that, like that blogger name. But I do think you're right. I think we're getting past it. I think blogger is now being recognized more as a business. And for us, Now that we have a team of people, I mean, we have people helping us write content. We have people helping us on the social media side of things and on video production. For us, we call ourselves a digital media publishing company because that's what we are. are. We view ourselves as an online editorial magazine, essentially, Mm -hmm. or an online cookbook or, you know, and it does go in a sense beyond what we used to consider blogging traditionally. And so I think you're right. I think the concepts around this are changing and they're shifting over time. And the more that we as content creators can view ourselves as business owners, um, it's kind of scary because I feel like there's a lot more of that responsibility. And it's like you said, the things that we kind of like don't want to know we have to be responsible (laughs) for. Like, oh, if I'm a business owner, I have to be responsible for things like having legal read my contracts and maybe having a payroll accountant and maybe having like all these Those, business can, things. If it makes anybody feel better, there is nothing I hate more than dealing with the financial side of my business. <laughs> I will delegate that all day, every day. Fortunately, I have a great accountant and they have a bookkeeper on staff and they handle all of the stuff because I don't want to. I know that that is not something that, number one, I hate it. I don't yep. like it. I can read the reports. It's awesome. But getting into that minutia, ugh, least favorite thing to do. But And I think that's really important. Like, If you need help in your business, absolutely ask for it. Delegate it. You do not have to know how to be every single role for your business. And I think that comes with that shift too, is bloggers are like, oh, I'm a blogger. And when you're the blogger, you're the blogger and you do all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're a business, it kind of gives you the freedom to say, oh, well, businesses have people help them with their finances. Exactly. Businesses have people help them with these things. And it kind of like it really I'm just speaking for me personally, and maybe it translates to people that are listening. But for me personally, that shift from blogger to business owner uh, really helped me free up some like mental real estate where I believed I was personally responsible for every aspect of every single thing that had to do with my blog because my blog was me. Like it was just Mm -hmm. an extension of my identity. But as we continued to like expand and grow and treat it like a business, then it allowed me to really shift my perspective a little bit. And I can own a business and I can manage a business, but that doesn't mean I have to do every aspect of the business. Absolutely. 100%. I really hope that people take that to heart because I think that many professions are starting to realize like, hey, this is a really great niche that we can get into. And I think it's important. Like you can find an accountant who really understands this. You can find lawyers, you can find salespeople, you can find all types of individuals who have that knowledge, who can help you grow your business so that you can really move into the role that you want. Some people want to stay just doing the creative. Other people are like, great, now I'm going to build this digital empire. Fantastic. But give yourself assistance so that you can create white space to do those things. Yep. 
And it doesn't have to be like scary. I feel like that no. first step of transitioning to business, a lot of people are like, well, I can't afford to hire somebody or I can't, you know, like I can only do it myself. But I started, I remember the first time I hired somebody and it was to help me manage social media because I was drowning in replying to comments on Facebook. Seriously. Mm-hmm. So I hired somebody just for a couple hours a week and didn't pay myself what I was paying that person so that I could focus on other things that could create more income, you know? So it was a very small step, but it freed up that mental real estate so that I could kind of like make those leaps and make those transitions. It doesn't have to be like all of a sudden you have a team of eight people and you're an empire, you know? Exactly. Like it can be, it can be a slow transition from blogger to business, but I didn't even have this on our uh, conversation list, but I'm so happy that we (laughs) went there, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Because I feel like it's very in line with kind of what, what both of us envision for the future of the blogging community as people continue Mm -hmm. to grow and adapt and change. And there are so many opportunities and so many levels of what blogging looks like. Um, But man, you can take it wherever you want to take it. So I have some questions for you that are, and we're going to kind of transition back to what I feel like is one of your main areas of expertise and what you're going to be talking a lot about at Tastemaker. Mm -hmm. Um, So now that everybody has their pep talk on like, hey, bloggers, you're awesome and you're awesome (laughs) businesses and you're doing great things. Let's talk about potential revenue streams for bloggers as they continue to build their business. And one thing that you're so great at is working with influencers and brands to kind of facilitate those relationships either in a sponsored format or an affiliate format. Um, So one of the questions that I have for you is what's cutting edge right now in that blogger to brand relationship space? What are brands currently looking for when they're working, when they're looking to find influencers and work with influencers right now? I think the key is about relationships and understanding your audience. Because let's face it, AI has gotten, uh, if you're me, a little bit creepy in the past few years. (laughs) But AI has gotten to a point where if a brand wants to get in front of a woman this age who has these interests, they can do all of that on Facebook. So the key is, what is it that you can offer to the brand that they can't get through some automated service because they can look at this and say, I just paid this much for this lead and I got, you know, generally what I was looking for. So what is it that you can give them? And I think that the key there is, and I say this all the time, people who come to the session, you will get sick of me saying it. I need a bumper sticker. (laughs) No one knows your audience better than you do. You are the key to teaching the brand what it is that you can make them appealing to your audience. And I think that historically, I remember one of our first blogger campaigns when I was working at the network, the company, you see, they wanted to be featured on 50 blogs. That's it. They just wanted 50 different bloggers to talk about them. And we have moved so far past that in the past five years, six years, whatever, so that now the brands are saying, okay, what is our engagement? What 
connected? What didn't work? Did we see the lift in sales? So we are now really getting to a point where knowing that ROI and knowing your audience and your demographics is really key because if the brand is finding ways to measure their ROI, they want to make sure that the investment they are making in you is also going to contribute to that. So what I think is the most important is making sure that your pitches and your campaigns are data driven. You want to know your audience, have those key demographics. If you haven't done an audience survey, I highly recommend it. I think it's a great way to learn more about who your audience is, but really get into your analytics, know who's there, and then you can talk to the brands about how they can connect and don't be afraid to make suggestions because if a brand comes to you and they say, hey, we want a blog post with some social shares. I'm hoping that this isn't happening anymore, but what if they said to you, and we want to see you really push this hard on Twitter? Nothing's going to happen on Twitter anymore. Like that's <laughs> that like maybe four years ago, okay. five years ago, maybe, but now no. So it's up to you to educate them on where you think this would be best placed. So if they came to you and they said, hi, we want you to do an Instagram, um, what is it, IGTV. We want you to do a full video here. And you're thinking, you know what? you're going to be way better served by featuring you on my stories because that's where I get the most traction. Right. I want you to go back to them and say, I think that's a great idea, but here's where I think my audience is most going to resonate. Here's the kind of results that I've seen in the past. And then if you can show them that they will get the engagement they're looking for, that's key. But most important there, besides knowing your own content, you have to have the conversation with the brand to know what they want. It is so important. They may come to you and say, hey, we want you to promote this product. And you're thinking, great, talking about this product is the key. But if what they're looking for is that they want to see coupon codes being redeemed and you think, eh, my audience, that's not going to be something that's not like what they normally do. They're more like ready to share on Pinterest or whatever the case might right. be. It's really important for you to know at the beginning so that you can then determine what the content should be to get the action they're looking for. So all of that rambling to say, in terms of what brands are currently looking for, I think that they are looking for better partnerships that get each party to the ultimate goal, which is to reach the brand's KPIs. So it is a bigger conversation rather than brands just being Here's what I'd like to order. And the blogger saying, okay, done. And then it being over. It's more about what is the result? How do we keep refining? And what do we learn about the experience? And I'm just going to piggyback and say, I have been seeing this personally on the influencer side of things recently with brands coming to me. I literally had a phone call yesterday with a brand that said, we're done doing one-offs. We want to build a relationship with our influencers. We want to build a longer-term relationship with our influencers. This is our end goal. What type of content do you believe? And the brand literally asked me, what content do you believe will best serve your audience on each platform? So we talked about the best type of content for an email. What would perform best there? Is it a discount code featuring one product? Um, what would perform best on Facebook? Is it a product review, sending people to read the blog post? What's going to perform best on Instagram? Is that a story feature highlighting actually using the product in real time and giving an actual real time review? You know, like what's working on each various platform? What type of audience is on each platform? Because 
I know what's true for me and it may be true for other um, influencers is when you dive into your analytics and you really look at who your people are, you find that you have different people on each platform. I have different ages on each platform. Um, I have a different layout breakdown of genders on different platforms. And so that's that's something that I can have that conversation with the brand and say, you know what I think might do the best is this, this and this because of this, this and this. And when you're able to have those conversations, by the end of the phone call, the brand was like, "Okay, here's our budget. Send a proposal with the package that you think would work the best. And that kind of splits the power. It's not all in the brand's hand. It's not all in the influencer's hand. We do have a common goal and it's much more collaborative. And I you said so many things there that I think are important in how blogging has changed and how all of this has changed. And the number one thing, and I still hear bloggers saying that they hate this, you had a phone call. Right? Do you know how many bloggers I would hear? I don't do calls. And I'm like, you just walked away from money. (laughs) And I think that it is a conversation, but also the other pieces that you are talking about, brands are, for a while, if a blogger asked to change something in a contract, they'd be like, no, we'll just find another person. But now they are realizing the value of you and your audience and your business and having that collaborative relationship. Because if you can go to them and say, here's why you're the right fit for my audience, they don't want to have to find 50 new bloggers every month to talk about them. They want to have the right relationship. So those longer term contracts, they are becoming more and more popular. And also the idea that they give you a budget and they say, okay, give us a proposal. Don't be afraid to have a good proposal. Have a pitch deck. Have those pieces. Talk to them about what their goals are. And then you craft something that you know will help them reach those goals. Exactly. And it's constantly changing. I feel like that's the biggest thing. But I feel like it's moving in a very positive direction. And I, this year, I haven't signed a single one-off contract for sponsored work this year. Every single contract that we have signed has been like one big campaign, but multiple interactions on multiple platforms for one end goal, right? Yep. And it's fantastic. Like, I feel like it's so much better for the blogger. It's so much better for the brand. And honestly, I think it's a better experience for the user. And sometimes we think about the brand experience. We think about the blog experience and what our individual goals are. But also, what about our users? What are our users liking to see? And when they see a sponsored thing come across their page, is it an eye roll or is it a, oh, I heard her talking about that on stories. They have a discount code. Cool. I wanted to check it out. And there's that, you know, that repeat exposure that it's almost a building of trust with your audience, too, by representing brands that are in line with your own brand and building relationships that are longer term. So, you know, that there's good rapport, you know, that there's a good relationship and the user, I feel like the users appreciate that so much more. As an audience member, so this is not a secret. I can't cook literally anything. Like I, <laughs> I was reheating frozen pizza for my son last night and burned it. And he was just like, mommy. I'm like, look, this is what happens when mommy cooks. So <laughs> I am a huge, I am the content consumer here, like looking at all of the food content. And I can tell you, if I see certain favorites talking about a thing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy this. I don't care if it's sponsored. If I know they like it and see the magic that they perform, I am there as an audience member saying, maybe this, this will be the way that I learned to cook. It's not. It <laughs> this never is. This is the same thing, Grace. 
But I try them anyway. And I think that that is so key that it is it is becoming more collaborative. It is not just viewing just like there isn't just a blogger. It is viewing small businesses as what they are. Small businesses who can help you achieve your goals. Yep. Hallelujah. Amen. So I have a (laughs) I, I have a question, Daniel. Uh-huh. So we talked about phone calls, and I think that's important. Getting on the phone, building that relationship. But when it comes down to to the time that we need to negotiate, yeah, what are your best tips and practices on negotiations with brands? Sure. Okay. First of all, I think that most people view negotiations as confrontation. And my hope is that we can look at it a little bit differently and keep it in the vein of collaboration. I think that it's really important to do your research first. I also think it's important to know who you're talking to. If you are in a negotiation with someone who is not the decision maker, that can make a really big impact on how you are presenting the information, right? So I think it's really important when you are creating your proposals to be specific. So that way, when you get to the negotiation stages later on, it isn't as much of a surprise. I think a couple of the areas that come up most frequently, particularly for food bloggers, are exclusivity in terms of are you giving them any exclusivity or if you aren't giving them exclusivity in the pricing, make a note that says this does not include exclusivity. If you want exclusivity on it, here's what that's going to cost you. And then also on ownership. Ownership is still one of the hottest topics that is out there and it makes a big difference in It can make a big difference in pricing. I have one person, I worked with her on a contract. It was going to be a three-post multi-month. I think it was over a six-month period. The brand came to her, said, hey, here's what we want to do. They worked everything out. Contract gets ready to go out. I'm reviewing it, and it says that they want to own all the content. So I go back to her because that's not what her contracts usually say. And she's like, oh, no, I need to own my content. And I was like, that's fine. Let's go back to them. It was a simple question that was, hey, the price that we had originally offered wasn't based on ownership. Here are the options that we have available. And it really is. Everybody's got a choice there. You can either take it or you can give them additional options, and they can then choose what makes the most sense for them. What ended up happening was a $12,000 campaign moved to be an $18,000 campaign because they wanted all of the rights to go along with it so they could do whatever they wanted with the content. So don't be afraid to say, this pricing that I am giving you, this proposal that you asked me for based on these various components, here's what that is. If you want these other things that I know often come up, here's what that price is. And as long as everybody goes into it with their eyes open, it's usually not Usually you can come to some type of consensus, but another piece is don't be afraid to set a number where you walk away. Just because you walk away from that deal, as long as you're doing it professionally, you'd be amazed at how many times the company will come back and say, you know what, that other thing we wanted you for, that might not have been perfect, but you were so professional in how we dealt with you. Here's this other thing. And it basically comes to the terms that you are asking for. I've seen that happen many times. That's great advice. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of bloggers maybe don't think about initially. Um, On our media kit that we share with brands, it says right there under our pricing, our outlined pricing is prices do not reflect exclusivity or ownership. Please inquire for 
like the additional charge for those items. Um, and we do have options built in for that, but it's not, you know, it's, it is that being upfront and being straightforward and letting the brands know in advance, like it really does save a lot of that, like, they want to own it (laughs) because you already have it in there. Yeah. I think another thing that comes up really frequently for food bloggers specifically is reshoots and what editing rights the brands have. That is another thing that the more specific you can get at the very beginning. So in your proposal before you, when you're having the initial conversation, make sure you address it. Many brands will want to see a draft ahead of time, right? Make it clear. How many rounds of revisions do you get? I usually recommend if they are requiring a brand, make it one. And what can they change? I usually say to copy, they can change tone. Uh, not tone, excuse me, they can change facts about the brand and brand positioning. They cannot, however, change tone or just whatever style you typically have. Because again, it goes back to that whole audience thing. You know who your audience is, not the brand. They are responding to you. They don't want to see a cut and pasted press release. Like that's not what they're going to reply to. So what is it that you can set up there? So that way, the more specific your scope of work is that you are showing them, if they come back to you with another set of revisions or they say, oh, we don't like this picture, we need a reshoot, it's a simple line. And this is where people get uncomfortable. So I'm going to give you my swipe copy. What you're requesting is outside the scope of work that we originally discussed. But I do agree with you that I understand why you want to make these changes. I'm happy to put together a quote so that we can execute on it. Brilliant. It's super positive. It's not one of those, no way, you didn't pay for this. It's really just about the tone that you are using so that they feel like they're having a really good professional experience with you. And a lot of times you're working not directly with a brand. A lot of times you're working with a PR company that represents Mm -hmm. 12 other brands. And so anytime you can create that positive relationship between you and the people that are bringing bloggers sponsored content, I've seen over and over again, the same PR companies bring me multiple clients and multiple contracts because the experience was good and we were clear and we were straightforward and we did negotiate easily and it worked out and it it resulted in return business. Um, One thing that I also want to add that we do charge additionally for is rush fees. Um, We've had brands come to us and say, we want this in two weeks. And I laugh And then I send them, okay, here's what it would cost you. And it's usually double what -hmm. I would normally charge because I have also outlined in my media kit, we generally have uh, this many day turnaround for from contract to execution. So please keep that in mind. And brands are getting a lot better now, I feel like, of respecting bloggers' editorial calendars and planning a little further in advance. But I mean, there have been times where brands have been willing to pay the rush fee because they got a little bit behind in their their content calendar and planning ahead. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's important to take those little minutiae into account when you're entering into any sponsored content relationships. Uh, one thing that we wanted to kind of talk about is how how do you fairly price sponsored content? Do you have any resources or tools or recommendations that you use when helping bloggers really like identify their price for sponsored content? I wish I could tell you there was a magic formula. And I think so many companies tried to create a magic formula for a while. And I just don't think it exists. What I use at Business Ease is called the price method. And really what that's about is analyzing different aspects of your content so that you can start to really create 
the best framework in terms of your pricing. So it's looking at your potential impressions. That's the P. And that is really your overall audience. Next, you are going to look at the reach, what your content historically has. So how many people do you, does your average piece of content get in front of? Also really important is the investment that you are making. How long is it going to take you to create this content? I think we can all agree that it takes a whole lot longer to do a full recipe creation with a video accompanying it than it does to feature a product in a really quick talking Instagram story. So it's a very different time investment. So you also want to consider that. Consider the content that you are being asked to make. And then also very important, consider the engagement that you have on your posts. I think a lot of people like to use cost per engagement as kind of the base level that they start their sponsored content at. But I think that it is such a mix of those pieces that you can talk to the brand. And quite honestly, if you can tell the brand, like if they come to you and they say, I, and I have heard this from people who come to me after I do a session and they're like, well, the brand said this. And it's usually, I have somebody with a bigger audience who told me that it would cost this. Okay, that's good for them. But I think the key there is you need to show them why you're worth it. So as long as you can give them proof that you can execute on the things that you are talking about and that it is worth more to them to go with you and the way you do it, that's the key. Have that evidence. Know your historic analytics so that you can go to them and say, well, on average, my sponsored content reaches this many more people. So I have a really great engagement rate in terms of even though I have a smaller audience, more of my people see and respond to things than what you might get with a bigger blogger. And there are tools to help Mm -hmm. you track sponsored content. Honestly, you can track any content and kind of say, this is how an average piece of content does and performs. Mm -hmm. But specifically sponsored content, um, there's actually one of what I use personally is called Influence Kit, and they're going to be a tastemaker teaching a class kind of about, you know, building these sponsored relationships too. But uh, there are tools out there to help us as bloggers put Mm -hmm. together reports to send to brands and say, you know, this is how a sponsored piece has performed within the last month. You can give them really current, up-to-date information about, you know, how sponsored content does on your site and you can validate your claims. You can validate your pricing. You can justify and explain like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe there isn't a magic formula of like, 60 cents per impression or engagement or whatever, whatever the metric is. Um, But, you know, you can really show your value and you can really show your worth to brands with previous campaigns because those tools are out there now. Exactly. What you want to do is give them the experience where they can say, I want to put myself in this other brand's shoes. So really walk them through it. Have a case study. Have something available where you can say, this is similar content to what I did for this brand over here. Is that what you want to replicate or do you want something slightly different? And that really lets them see themselves working with you and achieving the results that you think you can bring them. Um, That kind of like segues me into my next question that we like skipped over earlier, but I feel like it's great to come back to right now is, what are you seeing right now um, in, you know, in building relationships with bloggers and brands? What kind of bloggers are standing out? Who are people you're seeing? Not you don't have to like name names, but what practices are you seeing? What tactics are you seeing that brands are just hungry? Like, oh, I want to work with that influencer right now. And what are they doing? And how can we as bloggers kind of implement those tips and tricks to elevate our ability to stand out to brands that are looking? 
I believe that the folks who are the most successful right now are the ones who have gone beyond that idea of being just a blogger. I think that they are giving very specific pitches as to who they are, what they think they can achieve and how they do it. I think that they are the influencers who are able to back up their claims. So if you are a blogger who is looking at this and you're like, I do not like this, get the tools, get whatever it is that you need. Just like you might have a bookkeeper. These are tools that you need to have in place. It's a side of your business that you can't ignore because if you can show them those case studies and you can show them that proof, they, I have seen influencers who have that type of content where they do really great campaign reporting. They have really good case studies. They have really personalized pitches. And that could be something as simple as make a pitch deck where you work them through and get on the phone and walk them through the deck. That is, it puts so many people ahead of the curve because they aren't, that's the kind of experience they get with other agencies, right? Yep. So you want to give them that experience where they're like, oh my gosh, look how professional this person is. And they can really, at every opportunity, you are showing them how they can fit themselves into working with you. So the more proof and examples, that I think is what is setting most bloggers apart now is the fact that they get the results and they can show them ahead of time what type of results they can expect. That's awesome. I think one thing that you also said in there was um, bloggers treating this like a business. And I think that's a theme that we've been talking a lot about. But I'm hearing bloggers late, not lately, I feel like it's been always, (laughs) who um, struggle with the idea of sponsored content because they're uncomfortable pitching or because they're uncomfortable with edits or because they're uncomfortable with you know, kind of building those brand relationships, um, say that they would just rather not do sponsored content. But I think when you are a business and when you look at every opportunity to increase your overall revenue and to grow as a business, um, sponsored content is a very important piece to that puzzle. And I know it is for us, most definitely. It's a very large portion of our income and we make great ad revenue and we make affiliate income. And, you know, there are multiple ways that we drive um, revenue to our business, but sponsored content is a big piece of that for us. And I think one of the reasons that we've been able to make it successful is because we treat it like a good stream of income and we treat it with that professionalism and we build these relationships like we're building a business partnership and we're building a relationship with mutual goals that we're working towards and we do make an effort to stand out and to share the data and I think it's just there's just a little bit of a learning curve um and you see it everyone from (laughs) everywhere like there's a whole range of people that are like I just got my first sponsored post like I'm terrified what do I do to people that are like I'm swearing off sponsored posts forever (laughs) because they're a lot of work um but I just think there's a really healthy middle ground where a lot of people excuse me where a lot of people are making really good money just right there in that happy spot I agree with you and I think that if you are listening to this and you are one of the bloggers who is thinking, I hate sponsored content. I don't want to do it. I will never tell somebody to do something that they hate. But I mean, so much of this goes back into mindset and I'm not going to go down that road for you guys. But I think that if it is something that you hate, just analyze what is it that you hate about it? Because if it is, you don't like going back and forth, you don't like pulling the analytics, you don't like, you know, whatever that key is that you don't like, Is that something that you could easily delegate to someone else on your team or 
if it's something where you're just like, no, having advertisements on this content feels completely wrong to me, then that's a different conversation. But if it's that you just don't like the process, how can you streamline that so that all you are doing is creating the content itself, doing that creative piece of it? If you can delegate it out, do it. Because honestly, the amount of money that you're going to spend on those delegation items is probably going to still give you a really good positive return on investment. Yeah. I've So Susie, when I first quit my, I was a corporate accountant. When I first quit my job, that was one of the first things I took on was like, we call it like the brand con or the, I don't even remember what branded we called content specialist. branded content specialist. <laughs> and, uh, we changed the email on her website to my email and brands emailed me. And then I was the one that was, um, setting those up and doing the initial communications. And then when they got to the point that creative decisions needed to be made, that's when I kind of handed it off to Susie. And then we both kind of communicated with them from there on out. So, I, I, there's a lot of ways that you, like you said, you can streamline it and, and, uh, delegate things out, um, to make it possible. And if that's not a revenue stream that you want, okay, where do you want to make up the rest of that revenue? And what does it take to make that up? Because I think for some people finding those alternate revenue streams, I think that sometimes they get stressed there and they're like, oh, this is down, ad revenue is down, this, this, and this. There are ways that you can build it back in. So what is it that makes the most sense for that audience? If you don't want to have sponsored content, what is it that you can do to start making sure that you've got that that revenue relationship where it needs to be? Yep. And honestly, taking a hard look at your business and yourself and saying, okay, again, like what we talked about earlier, what do I like? What do I not like? How can I treat this like a business and delegate where I need to and still continue to grow? Because I'll Mm -hmm. be honest with you, I swore off sponsored content like twice over the course of my just a bad experience with a couple of brands. And I was like, okay, I'm never doing this anymore. Um, But when I really got down into it, it was There were just a few things that really stressed me out. I delegated those and all of a sudden it was like, oh, I like sponsored content. And I realized that it was challenging me. It was pushing me outside of my normal comfort zone in terms of of content creation. Like I would extend myself a little bit more for these brands. I would push myself beyond what I thought was possible for my photography skills or videography skills, you know, and uh, it turned out to be this really positive thing. But it was an area where I just had to say, okay, if if I swear this off, if we lose sponsored income, like where are we going to make up for it? And, you know, making those tweaks and adjustments as needed, but also delegating and, and finding my way back to sponsored content was part of that journey too. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that we can we can be on a journey and we can say, maybe we hate this right now, but maybe we'll revisit it at some point. And why do we not like these things? And is there something we can do to fix it? Nothing in this business, I feel like for so many of us is like permanent. Everything, we're allowed to be fluid. We're allowed to be in transition. We're allowed to be um, in charge of our own businesses and make changes where we feel is best. But sponsored content is something that we really value as a part of our overall business strategy and that we utilize to grow our company and to increase our revenue. So, man, so many good tips. Do you have anything to add, Todd? I feel like I just said so many things. I think there's a, from what I can tell from different conversations I've had, there's a there's another genre of blogger out there that not that they hate it, 
but that they might be scared to get into it. Like they're lacking the confidence and that's probably where I'd fall in. <laughs> Luckily I have Susie here who does not lack the confidence, which is awesome. But just wrapping this all up, like, like literally you are a business and to present yourself and have this amazing confidence to go about this and, and go after it, I think it's just such a huge thing. If you really want it, you know, find ways to be creative. You know, I don't know if you need to just pick your favorite brand that you're not working with and, you know, pretend like you're doing sponsored content. So you have a base to start from to show what your, how your audience is responding. You know, um, I, I think the biggest switch in us was, it was crazy is when we, we, we swore it off and we're like, we're only going to do it if we get paid this much. So we upped our, our fees and then like we got more than ever. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's just a, it's a, it's a confidence thing, right? Do you have anything to add to that? I think that everything you guys said is so unbelievably accurate. And what I want to point out here is if you are in the process of swearing something off, I want you to really go at this like a business would. Just like at the end of a campaign, you're going to send reporting to the brand, right? And within that reporting, you should be saying this worked well, this didn't work well. You should be doing the same thing internally because if what you find you are having problems with is something that's easily remedied, then that's what you're going to change in the next pitch that you make. If what you found difficulty with was all the revisions that they were doing and the drafts and they wanted too much control, okay, that's easy to fix. Right. You can just put that into your contract. You can tell them, I don't do work with brands unless I have the following conditions in place. You have control over that because you are the owner of the business. You do not have to always say, yes, I'll do whatever you want. You don't. And if that is what they want, don't do that type of work. I think that what you're saying is so unbelievably important that even you don't have to swear it off. You just have to make it work for you and work for your business and figure out what that looks like. Yep. And we have led brand conversations this year after having our like mild freak out and swear off sponsored work forever and then like <laughs> becoming a little bit more adult about it and revisiting the conversation. <laughs> um, we did. We made those adjustments. We put those notes on our media kit about ownership and exclusivity and rush fees. We led conversations with the brands about having those longer term relationships and what our new pricing structure was. And I would like to say this has been our best experience with co sponsored content ever oh, yeah. this year. Like we have just fallen in love with it all over again, you know, because it isn't under our control and it is within our power to negotiate the types of contracts that we want and work with brands that we're excited to work with um, and really, you know, have the final say on those conversations. And I think a lot of that just comes from empowerment and education and like really digging into those analytics, like you said, determining your value, determining your worth, and then making educated decisions that aren't led by fear or <laughs> like anger <laughs> or other uh -huh. frightening we, emotions. We've, we've had the experience. We've noticed that, I don't know, maybe I kind of felt like, ah, just people are over it. Like companies are over it. They're not even really doing it anymore. But I think we found the opposite. Like when we, when we tweaked our thinking, we found that brands are so hungry still for this type of marketing like they the budgets are there the the appetite for using influencers for marketing is there and we all need to chase it 
I agree. I think that we are past the point where it is that old school mentality of I'm going to post this and that's it and it's done. As long as the brands know that they are working with a professional business who is going to talk to them, collaborate with them and help them reach their KPIs, that's the key. It is all about the relationship that you are building. And I the brands that I have seen contracts coming through, they want to continue working with the same people because they don't want to have to constantly be in the hustle, just like bloggers don't want to constantly be in the hustle for finding that new relationship. Yep. Oh, man. I feel like we just had so many great little nuggets in here. Um, So to kind of like give us a wrap up and a takeaway, um, people are going to be coming to Tastemaker in mm-hmm. September. And hopefully a lot of them will be in your class to soak up even more of this knowledge that you have to share with us on, you know, these relationships that bloggers can continue to build with brands. And as they grow their businesses, some tips and tricks for that also. Um, what are some things that you are going to be bringing to your presentation in Tastemaker so that people have something to look forward to? We are going to talk a lot about really that idea of differentiating yourself and how to pitch you as opposed to how to pitch a campaign and how to create proposals where everybody wants to learn and work together. It's not going to be that idea of, hey, I like your stuff. If you send it to me, I'll do a blog post. Like we are so far past that mentality. And another piece that I think is important and just not talked about enough is the idea of negotiation. What can you negotiate? Where do you put it? At what stage does it come? And then really giving them the best customer service possible. Because I always say, you know, you want to have that Nordstrom Disneyland experience, right? You don't want to go in and make them feel like they're at a subway and they get a couple of things and then they're out the door. You want to give them the best possible experience. So what does that look like from a campaign and a business perspective? What kind of follow up should you have? When do you introduce those things? You know, That type of information is a lot of what we will cover. And I love that it's actionable. Like, this is how you set yourself apart. This is how you build a proposal. This is how you negotiate. Like, I think a lot of what we covered on the podcast today was very, like, conceptual and very, like, this is great. This is what's happening. This is what to look for. And these are some high level, like, things, but at at your workshop, I feel like it's going to be like, let's get down to business. Let's work through the process and get you to a point where you're comfortable building these relationships and charging what you're worth and being comfortable um, establishing sponsored partnerships with brands. And I think that is so useful and so beneficial, especially as this blogger community continues to grow and Mm -hmm. help each other out and be collaborative um, to have that knowledge to grow their own businesses. So I'm excited. Yes. Thank you. I'm very excited to see everybody and just to kind of get into that because I don't think there's any better way to do it than to really get into somebody's business and kind of see what's under the hood and, you know, going into it and saying, okay, I think, and for some people, like, let's face it, sometimes it's just a mindset issue where you've got to get over the fear because, I mean, I will say this probably 10 times in the session. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Yep. That's it. 
It doesn't mean your business is going to be bankrupt. It doesn't mean any of the things that I think I'm, I'm a worst case scenario kind of person. So I will always be like, well, that's exactly what it means. Of course, my business is going to be bankrupt. Everything will fall apart. Everything will be over. (laughs) I am chicken little a thousand percent. So I think it's really kind of working through what that looks like and just really not being afraid of it. If you, if you want to build it, go after it. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So in between now and when we get to see you in person at Tastemaker, um, where can people follow you on social? Where can they find you online and kind of get psyched about Tastemaker? Sure. BusinessEase is at businessease.com. And since no one ever knows how to say it or spell it, it's businessese.com. I'm on BusinessEase on social. And if it is for legal, it's listlegal.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope everybody takes an opportunity to follow you and see what you have going on um, and kind of glean some of your wisdom and knowledge. And I feel like you say you're chicken little, but your actual like advice to people is not very chicken little. So maybe it's for me. I can tell anybody how to not be chicken little. But for me, I'd be like, yeah, that just ruined life. Like, that's it. It's over. (laughs) I I sat through your class last year and I can honestly say it was probably the most memorable for me i enjoyed oh, your you. class the most so everyone okay, go, I, go check it out <laughs> i'm glad that you said that it was good because when you said memorable i'm like oh my gosh did i screw something up no, <laughs> chicken, no, 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 little. No. chicken little no just the most i think the most useful information I, as far as uh, talking about this topic right actionable actionable yes perfect yeah well i'm glad to hear that thank you that's a great compliment to we receive. both left with many notes left of <laughs> tastemaker last year we're super excited and they're like, there's too much. I'm too overwhelmed. And I'm like, pick one. Just pick one. You don't one have to thing. Pick, pick one thing to work on. And that's all you have to concentrate on until you get that one thing done. Then move through. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm excited to see you in September. We're excited about Tastemaker. And we will talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. Wow. That was incredible. That was an awesome conversation, except for the parts that I was in it. But that's fine. Susie, you talk like a champion, and I appreciate that. You know, I'm a great talker. (laughs) Anyway, we really are so hyped for Danielle's class. We're super um, grateful for her and for her taking the time to be on the podcast today. That was just an incredible conversation. And we will see you guys at Tastemaker. Yes. September 19th through the 20th. First in Portland, Oregon. Tickets are currently sold out. There is a wait list. If you have a ticket, you lucky, lucky dog. We will see you guys there and we will give all of you hugs and high fives. I'll only give you hugs if you want. I won't be awkward, I promise. Todd will be the guy in the Hey Grill Hey t shirts. <laughs> see you guys later. Bye. Bye.